you're going to need it for this morning. Uh, I don't have any of the scriptures on the screen, and so we're all going to practice our, our uh, Bible-turning fingers this morning. Um, but if you're, if you're new or visiting and you don't have a Bible or, uh, and, and you want to use a pew Bible, uh, or if you're brand new to this whole thing and you're like, I don't really know where James is, uh, in the pew Bibles, it's on page 1012 or page 952, depending on if you have a fat Bible or a skinny Bible. Look at your neighbor's Bible. If you want to know if you have a fat Bible or a skinny Bible, I don't know. But it's on those pages um, if you want to use the Pew Bible this morning. So if I were to tell, or if I were to say this name, um, you tell me what you think of. Ready? Yoda. Star Wars, that's a gimme. That's a first one. What else? What else comes to mind? What's that? Your dog. Okay. Baby Yoda. Yep. Wisdom. I was hoping that's where you guys would go. Now, now, I don't know if it's just because you've been reading through the book of James and you're like, well, he's clearly going to talk about that. So, uh, or if you would truly think of wisdom when you think of Yoda. I would think of wisdom when I think of Yoda. And how weird is that, right? We, when we think of Yoda, we think of wisdom. He's a fake. He doesn't, he's not real. Uh, he's a Jim Henson Muppet kind of thing, basically. Um, who's that? Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, he's, you know, he's like a Jim Henson Muppet. But anyway... If when I say the name Yoda, you think of wisdom, let me read to you from the book of Luke. And yes, I know we're going to James, but let me read to you this section in, in Luke. Uh, this is Luke 16, 1 through 8. Uh, so this is Jesus giving one of his parables, one of his stories that he uses to teach people. And he says, uh, he tells his disciple, there's a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions and he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So basically, you're fired. Your livelihood is done. Uh, that's it. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. So basically, I'm going to be destitute, is what he says. I have decided what to do. Uh, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So this is what he does. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe the master? He said, a hundred measures of oils. He said to him, here, quick, take your bill, set down and write 50. And then he said to the other, how much do you owe? And he said, I owe a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, here, take your bill and write 80. So the master found out about this, it tells us in the text, in verse 8. It says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, that word shrewdness means wisdom. So this, this master who owns all these things came to this manager, and in the text it says this dishonest manager. And it says to him, uh, I'm going to commend you for your wisdom. And Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd, they're more wise in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So I think that that gives us a picture of wisdom. How do you define wisdom? Don't say Yoda. <laughs> but how do you define wisdom? And then maybe a deeper question is, would you consider yourself to be wise? And then how would you know? 
What are you measuring that against? What's your standard? Where does that come from? There's an old proverb, um, not in the book of Proverbs, I, I don't think, but like, you know, an old saying that says, those who know not and know they know not, teach them. Those who know not, but know not they know not, shun them. An easier way of saying that is maybe, you don't know what you don't know. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to be wise. I want to have wisdom, not just Yoda wisdom, not just shrewd management, money management wisdom. I want to have true godly wisdom. And I hope that that's what you want. That's what I want for you. And so if you would allow me the pleasure as we go through this section in James, I think James is going to give us some pictures of that, give us some application for that. And so I would like to go through that with you, but let's pray before we do that. God, our Father in heaven, we praise your holy name. We are so thankful for your patience with us, for your spirit in us. We thank you for sending your son to die for us, that we might be adopted into your family as new people. Lord, we confess that we do not always practice true godly wisdom. We confess that we often quarrel and fight with one another because of our own selfish, sinful natures. Father, we ask that you might change our hearts, even right now, even today. That you would give us more of your spirit and that we might be pursuing and receptive to your perfect wisdom. Thank you, Father, that you have promised us that when we ask in accordance with your will, that you are quick to act. Therefore, with bold assurance, we come today and seek and knock to ask for your wisdom. And we ask that your will would be done in our lives. So, Lord God, we lift before you now this text in James. We lift our hearts and we lift our hands. Speak to us, we pray, in the name that is above all names, we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're a note taker, um, here we go. He's going to give us two pictures of wisdom. He starts in James chapter 3, so hopefully you found your way to James chapter 3, or like I said, uh, 1012 or 951, I think those are the two pages in the Bibles there. So in James 3, 13, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? And so he asks this question, and he's going to give an answer, and his answer is, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then he's going to go on, and he's going to give us some pictures. So he's going to show us worldly wisdom or godly wisdom. All right? He's going to show us two pictures, one of worldly wisdom, one of godly wisdom. And so the first that we're going to look at is, we're going to look at false wisdom examined. Is that up there? Okay, good. So false wisdom examined. So if you have a copy of God's Word, James 3, 14 through 16, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy, so remember the question, who is wise and understanding among you? By the good conduct, show that. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. 
So in this, he says, if you have, meaning if you're continuously holding that. And so he wants us to understand that this kind of wisdom, this false wisdom comes from hell. And maybe you feel like that's a little strong, but read the text. He says it's earthly, it's unspiritual. He says it's even demonic. And my mind immediately goes back to the garden. In that first instance where God's word said one thing, and Satan came and asked them to question what God's word said, and so they chose to do the opposite of what God's word said. And in the text, it says that when Eve saw the fruit, she saw it was desirable to make one what? Wise. And so I think that is what James is talking about even here. He says, there is a wisdom that we think is wise. There is a wisdom of the world. Let's just be honest, right? You have to know how, to some degree, how to wheel and deal in the society that we have. Look at politics. That, that is most of what all politics is, knowing when to shake hands and when to stab backs, right? And the appropriate time to do that. But he tells us that worldly wisdom, this false wisdom, it comes from hell. And we see the fruit of that as it is motivated by self-centered ambition. And we see that all the time. For example, let's go back to the parable that Jesus said, right? I mean, we, I can't make a better story or a better parable than Jesus did, so let's just go to that one. Look at the shrewd money manager. It was not based on how well he could serve his boss, was it? Absolutely not. In fact, he knew that he was about to have his ship sail, and so the whole point of what he was doing was to care for himself. He called all those people in and marked down their accounts for one purpose and one purpose only. Did you catch it? So that he would have a place to couch surf. That was it. He knew that he was going to lose what he had, and so he said, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I come out on top and to heck with my manager and what these people actually owe him. You see, false wisdom is always motivated by self-centered ambition. You may think it's shrewd. You may think it's wise to say that thing to your spouse that you know irritates them because it gives you a leg up in the argument, but that's false wisdom. You may think it's wise to cut corners on a project at work because you know you can save the company a little extra money, but that's false wisdom. So it comes from hell. It's motivated by self-centered ambition, and the results are disorder and evil. So let's all practice worldly wisdom, right? And I wish that it was that easy. I wish that we could see this and we could say, okay, great. Thank you, Pastor. You've, you've showed me that. I'm no longer going to do that, you know? But the problem is, is that we're sinful. Our hearts are wicked. And so sometimes we are tempted, just as Adam and Eve were, that we see and we hear and we know, hey, God's word says this, but Satan will come in and say, hey, but you know, this really looks good right now, doesn't it? And we end up choosing that thing anyway. But beloved, I want for you to understand that the results are disorder and evil. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. And then he goes on, not just evil, but every vile practice. And I don't know about you, but this is what I see in our world today false wisdom being examined and we see that it is demonic, it is self-centered and ambitious and there is disorder and there is evil. 
But the good news is that James doesn't just stay there. He doesn't just tell us or examine for us false wisdom. He, he does, and, and like anything, you know, it's not pretty, but we need to see that. We need to see that so we can recognize that so that then he can show us true wisdom is to be esteemed. This is something that we should seek to pursue. Now, as we read through texts like this in James, we think to ourselves, duh, well, of course I don't want that. But the point is, brother or sister, is to not just hear this right now at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning and to agree with it now. The point is, is to pursue, to flee that Monday through Saturday for the rest of the week, and, and, I, and I pray for the rest of your life, and to pursue then what James is about to talk about because he tells us this true wisdom should be esteemed. So let's go on for 17 through 18. He says, but the wisdom from above. So he, he, is, he is very, very clearly giving us this contrast. Anybody think they're wise? Great. Here's the measuring rod. Here's what worldly wisdom looks like. And then in contrast to that, here's what true wisdom is. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Sounds much better, doesn't it? And so here's the way that James breaks that down, in my opinion. Firstly, he shows us that this true wisdom comes from heaven. Look what it says. It says the wisdom from above, right? I mean, where is that? He doesn't just mean that this is wisdom that falls out of the sky. Well, we understand, you know, hey, there's, there's all kinds of miles above us. It, all, it still amazes me that airplanes don't just fall out of the sky. I don't know how this works, you know, but I, I, I mean, I do understand scientifically how it works, but it's still amazing. He's not just talking about that above, like over your heads. He's talking about it comes from the Father. And we know that based on the context of Scripture, right? So we have to remember that these verses are in the context of the larger letter that James is reading. And that's why I tell you, continue to read through this as we're preaching through this, because he starts with every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? And so he's, he's keeping that in our minds as readers here. He says, this wisdom is from above. It's from God. It's from heaven. And so, beloved, what you need to understand is the Bible that you're holding in your hand or looking at on your phone or that you forgot today and is at home, that Bible is the wisdom of God. It was written for you. It is true. It is authoritative. It is active. And that is where you can find answers. It comes from heaven. True wisdom, when it's practiced, James tells us, is motivated by God-centered humility. Remember, he says that above. And so if you want to turn back, you can do that. But he says, who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness, in, in humbleness. And part of what he's talking about here is the understanding of he is God and we are not is the understanding of, you know, he has plans for us. And they might not always match our plans. And so submitting ourselves to God and understanding he's God, I'm not, is a sense of humility. Keeping God as the forefront, keeping God's kingdom as the forefront, putting our kingdom as the back burner and his kingdom forward. 
And then I, I don't know uh, if you saw this, but I see this, and, and I want to show it to you. The results of practicing true wisdom is peace and righteousness. I mean, should we not esteem that? Who wants a life with no peace? Raise your hands. Uh, who, who wants an afterlife or even a current life with no righteousness? Raise your hands. I mean, this is an attractive list. Again, you have it before you. He says, this wisdom is first pure. How many of you sometimes feel unpure? I know I do. Uh, then peaceable. How many some of you sometimes struggle with peaceableness in your life with even your own heart or others? I know I do. It's gentle. It's open to reason. You know, we'd like to think that we're all super reasonable, but the fact is that we all have our own biases. We're all jaded by the world. We all come from a put your money where your mouth is, prove it kind of culture. I know some of us lesser degree or more degree, and that's okay. But what this wisdom is, is it's open to reason. It's full of mercy. It's good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. It's not basing everything based on its own biases. It's willing to look at the book and say, here's what I think based on my life and my experiences and the past of things that I've heard. But what does God's word say? So I just want to examine this based off of Jesus for a minute. Remember it says pure. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, the pure in heart are blessed for they will see God. It says that it's peace-loving. You know, in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said the peacemakers are blessed for they will be called sons of God. It says it's gentle and it's considerate, right? In Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says the gentle are blessed for they will inherit the earth. It says that it's compliant or submissive, depending on the translation that you have there. You know, Matthew 5, 3 says, The poor in spirit are blessed, for, they, for, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It says it's full of mercy. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. It says it's full of good fruit. And in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled and so I want to bring true wisdom that it's esteemed, I want to bring that back to a person. And it's not Yoda. It's Jesus. True wisdom is Jesus. Jesus was peaceable. It doesn't mean that he was a pacifist. I mean, that guy cleansed the temple twice and told the Pharisees exactly what he thought of them. And he says in Matthew 10, 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And yet Jesus was and is peaceable. Jesus was gentle. I mean, how gently did he deal with the woman who was taken in adultery or with the woman in the city who fell at his feet at the Pharisee's house? Or how gentle was he with backslidden and broken Peter and his restoration? And how gently has he dealt with the discerning mothers who brought their little ones to him? And how gently does he deal with you? He was easy to be entreated. He was the most friendly and approachable of all men. He says in John six thirty seven, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes, I will never cast out. Jesus is full of mercy. It was mercy that brought him down from heaven. 
and mercy which caused him to go to the cross. Jesus was full of good works. Even Peter, after spending three and a half years with him, basically said that he was about doing good in Acts 10.38. Jesus was without partiality. He hung out with Judas, knowing what he knew, just as much as he did with James, Simon, and Peter. He was without hypocrisy. He was absolutely transparent, completely, even when it cost him things. Jesus is true wisdom. And so then James switches gears a little bit, but in the context, it's going to make sense, and he gives us two pictures of friendship. And so he tells us we can have friendship with the world or friendship with God. Which one do you think is based on wisdom? That's right. It's God. And so he's going to break this into two categories, or at least in my opinion, he breaks it into two categories. And the first one is he gives us a worldly warning. First thing he tells us is a warning against the fleshly appetite. Look at James chapter 4, 1 through 2 there. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Romans seven twenty two through 23 says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You see, it is our sinful hearts that cause quarrels and fights among us. It's because we desire and don't have, and so we covet and we seek to do everything that we can to obtain. This is the rat race, is what this is. This is keeping up with the Joneses. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever acquired a taste for something, have you? I, I, I hate it that people tell me about stuff. They say, oh, that's an acquired taste. And I was like, well, that means that it's gross. What's wrong with you? <laughs> If you have to eat it so much or drink that so much that you actually acquire a taste for it, it's gross. You're wrong. <laughs> but this is what happens with fleshly appetites, right? We can grow accustomed. We can acquire a taste for something of which originally we felt guilt or shame or sorrow or regret, and yet... Like a dog that returns to its own vomit, Scripture says. We will go back, and if we're not careful, and if we continue to do it, we will acquire a taste for a fleshly appetite. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this worldly warning tells us it's a warning against a fleshly appetite, but it also is a warning against a faulty argument. Continue on, James two through, uh, 4, 2 through 3. He says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Are any of you familiar with somebody named Megan Rapinoe? She's been in the uh, news lately. Some of you are nodding and making a face at the same time. Whatever. 
For my illustration, here's what I want to share with you. Megan Rapinoe, if you don't know who that is, is a uh, pro soccer player. At least she was a pro soccer player. She has recently retired, I think, for the second or third time. You know how it is, right? I mean, I think Jordan did that too and played with baseball and golf for a little while and then went back and then retired again, you know, whatever. But Megan Rapinoe, she's finally retired, what she said. And while she was in her retirement game, she apparently tore her, uh, her uh, Achilles, okay? And so what she said is, hey, I'm not a religious person, but if there's ever proof that there wasn't a God, it's that. And what she means by that is, because if there was a God, I wouldn't have got hurt during my last game because that's not justice. That's not right. This is the theodicy problem, the problem of evil, right? Why, why does evil happen? Megan Rapinoe's argument is a faulty argument. But before you judge Megan Rapinoe, let me tell you this. Do we not also have the same argument for things in our own lives? James says it right here. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. God, how come you didn't do X? And God knows our hearts, and he knows the only reason I'm actually asking for X is not for his glory or his kingdom or his son or because of anything else. It's because X would sure be better for me, and that's my primary concern. And so in essence, we have the same faulty argument that Megan Rapinoe says. Lord, if you love me, then this wouldn't be happening. Or Lord, if you love me, then this would happen. Proverbs 1, 28 says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. 1 John three twenty two tells us why. And whenever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Christianity is not a earning religion. It's not. And I'm not here today to tell you, hey, so pick it up, do your works, and God will bless you. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, the relationship with my wife would not last very long if every time I came home, I was snarky to her or physically abusive or I didn't you know, care with her or, or love her or whatever, that relationship, I'm, I'm here to tell you, would end very quickly. And with my father-in-law in the audience, he, is, he, he, he nodded. I, he may not thought that I caught that, but I saw that. He said, you better believe that would end really quickly. And rightly so, right? We would all have to nod alongside. It's a faulty argument that we have that God should just do the things for us and bless us in all kinds of ways, regardless of how we interact with him, that he's just some kind of a great grandpa Santa Claus in the sky, and all we do is rub the lamp once a week, and then we get the things that we're supposed to get. But he goes on for the uh, faulty argument. He goes on to a, a fatal association in James 4, 4 through 5. He says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? This is a fatal association, James says. You guys remember Siegfried and Roy? Bet you didn't think we'd be talking about Siegfried and Roy on Sunday mornings, but you probably didn't think we'd talk about Yoda either, so you just got to be on your game when you come here. But Siegfried and Roy, in October 2003, 
That's the year I graduated high school. Siegfried and Roy's world-famous animal attack uh, <laughs> act made headlines, kind of buried the lead there, right? Made headlines when Roy Horn was mauled by the white tiger named Manticore. By the way, that's why they're not doing their shows anymore. I mean, it was bad. Now, if you are wise, you would understand that hanging out with giant wild animals, it's only a matter of time before something bad happens. Siegfried and Roy, right? They thought they had everything under control. Now, Roy's still alive, but you get the point. How long do you think you can dabble in the things of the world before it kills you? This is a fatal association we say here. Do you think that do you, know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15, do not love the, 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 the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. law. Indeed, it cannot. Beloved, if there is one thing and one thing only that you get from today's message, I hope it is this. Examine your life. Examine your life through God's word and the places that you see in your own heart that is friendship with the world Seek to destroy that immediately before it kills you. Satan is not in the process of taking captives or prisoners. He is here to kill and steal and destroy. Lastly, he gives us a godly goal. And so that's where I want to end with you too. James doesn't just leave us saying, woe to us, we're destined for destruction. Uh, what he does here is what we should all pay attention to. Firstly, he, in, he entreats us to repent. In James 4, 6, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In 4, 7, he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So because we know that God is going to give grace, because we know that God gives grace to those who humble themselves before him, he says, therefore, submit. Therefore, humble yourself. Therefore, come to God and receive the grace that he tells you you will receive. It is awesome to me to think about it this way. So let me paint you a picture. We sometimes think, I sometimes think, hey, I've turned my back on God. I'm walking away from God. I have such a long road to go to turn around and get back to God. What we don't realize is, is that when, I, when, we, when we turn our backs on God and we walk away from him, all he does is follow you. And at the moment that you turn around, he is there. He stands like this. He walks behind you like this the whole time, waiting for you to spin around on your heels so that he can embrace you. And then he walks back with you. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Next thing he does, James does here, he says that we are encouraged to resist. Look at James 4, 7, the second part of that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then the second thing is, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is a promise. Do you understand that the devil is a defeated foe? The victory's already been won. The strongest argument that Satan has is death. And that tomb, I don't know if you know this, that tomb, it's empty. There is no death for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sin, it says he's the accuser of the brethren. And so Satan's big tools are this. God, how are you going to let this person into heaven? They're a sinner. Our response to that is, you are right, sir, but Christ. That's it. That defeats the argument. Have you ever argued with somebody and you came in hot and you were like, I'm going to tell this person exactly what I think of them. And you go in and you start kind of telling them and there's no response. And you say, what do you have to say for yourself? And they say, I think you're absolutely right. And then you're like, you weren't supposed to say that. This was supposed to be a thing and you ruined it with your agreement. How dare you agree with me? You know, you. But we're encouraged to resist the devil. Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's why he can say, if you just submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he's gonna flee from you. Thirdly, we are enjoined to renew James 4, 8 through 9 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Spin around. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify you, your hearts, you, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, let me, if you've never read through this section before or if it's been a while, I want to explain this to you. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And we look at that and we say, so what? So Christianity is just supposed to be super somber and lame and we're just supposed to be kind of sour all the time? No. What James is talking about here is, he's, this is the contrast, what he's giving us in the text right here. You used to find joy in drunkenness. Instead, let that bring mourning and sadness to you that people are still enslaved to that. And remember what God has freed you from. You used to find joy and pleasure in pornography. Instead, let that disgust you and bring you to a place where you desire for others to have freedom in Christ that you too have found and are pursuing. You used to find uh, release in outbursts of anger, but instead seek to practice peaceableness and understanding and mild-mannered humility and forsake having the last word because Christ has already spoken over you. Amen. This is what he's saying. We are enjoyed to renew, it, renewing our mind, renewing our bodies, renewing our souls, steeping ourselves in Christ Jesus. He tells us earlier in James 1.8, he is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What James is, he's continuing that and he's saying, stop being unstable. Don't be double-minded. Be single-minded. Single-minded of Christ. Renewing your faith daily. Are you, are you familiar with the TV show Mike Rowe? Or not Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe is on the show. It's called Dirty Jobs. I love that show. 
I like Mike Rowe. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but I just like him. He's a blue-collar guy. If he wasn't when he started the show, he is now because he's been with so many blue-collar people. You guys ever seen that show? That show is gross, isn't it? That show is terrible, and I love it. Here's where this ties into today's sermon, though. You ready? Do you honestly think that Mike Rowe would go to his job and do whatever job that is for the day, go home, take a shower, and then put those clothes back on? You're nuts. If I was Micro, some of those clothes would be burned at the end of the day, and they would never see the light of day again. They would be an ash heap on the bottom of my burn barrel, and that's where they deserve to be, right? And you, you, if you've seen the show, you understand. We are called to renew, draw near to God, wash your hands, purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. Be stable in your ways. Walk with the Lord, and then he closes with, and so we will too. We are, if we practice this, we are enabled to rejoice. James 4.10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. What is the happiest place on earth? Do you guys know? It's a trick question. That's what you would think. That's what they advertise, Disneyland, right? Well, I was look, listening to a podcast the other day, and it said that sometimes in Disneyland, the lines are so long that people cannot control their bowels. So now you're waiting for an overpriced ride in Disney World for several hours, and you have to step over somebody's inabilities. But according to 2023 World Happiness Report, and I don't know where that came from, Finland is the happiest place on earth apparently. And not only is Finland the happiest place on earth this year, but apparently this is their sixth year running. So I guess my thing should be skip Disneyland and go to Finland, apparently. But we aren't able to rejoice because it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, the happiest place on earth right now is nothing to where we are going and who we are going to be with. Humble yourselves before the Lord for a little while, and then he will exalt you. Put off the things of the flesh. Deny yourselves those things for a little while, and one day all will be given to you. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, I, I, I want to tell you again about this book. I, I recommend it. They have it on Audible. They have it paperback or hard copy or whatever. It's called Heaven. It's by Randy Alcorn. And he gives this illustration in the book. And he says, if you were to take a trip, right? And, and you were to say, hey, I'm going to Finland, right? That's what you would tell people. Hey, I'm going to Finland. Now, we would all understand that if you left from here and you go to Grand Rapids or Detroit or Chicago, one of those airports, you're going to have a layover somewhere, right? You're probably not having a direct flight from Detroit or O'Hare to Finland. Maybe you are. But none of you here are going to say, hey, you know where I'm going? Detroit or O'Hare and with a stopover in New York City and I'm going to be there for a couple hours. And then I'm going to Finland. Because although that is a stop along the way, that is not what your focus is. Your focus is Finland. And that's why we are enabled to rejoice. We're going to have stops along the way, but God's word promises us that when we pursue him in the end, it is so much greater 
and bigger and more wonderful than our puny minds can even begin to fathom or imagine. And so I don't know about you, but I think that is reason to pursue true wisdom in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do ask that you would give us wisdom, wisdom of Christ, wisdom in Christ, and the wisdom from Christ for our good and for your glory, we do pray. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and close in.